and before that, I had no idea this was happening because uh, China is such a vault when it comes to information that they want to let out to the, the rest of the world. Welcome to episode 52 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. Welcome back to another episode, everyone. Everyone's summer going well? Mm-hmm. It's well, hot as Hades outside. <laughs> I think we are yes. in hell. I think as atheists, we've gone to hell and didn't realize it. <laughs> because it <laughs> yeah. is so hot outside. Speaking yes. of hell, actually, um, I discovered a new TikTok um, uh, user. And the user name is America is the bad place. <laughs> and literally, they take clips. Uh, so this is from a, uh, I, th- I think I think a TV show that you like, Sherry. I right? love uh, it. The good, the, the good, place. good place. So yeah. I, I I haven't watched that TV show, uh, but I kind of understand the context of it. And basically, the TikTok basically always will show a clip of something that's happening in America. So maybe like a news segment or a news clip or someone doing something stupid, like what you might find in. America, and then basically it ends the clip with uh, the the main actress saying, "You know, this is the bad place." <laughs> I'm just pointing out that America is the bad place. Yep, I can see it. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's hot outside. That was my point. <laughs> yeah. Any yeah. Uh, yeah. any word on when this heat wave is going to relent or let up? Never, because Never. global warming. <laughs> Gosh, I hope that's not true. This is going to happen forever. I did go to my first, like, public event yesterday. I went to welcome the Olympians back to London. Right! Yeah. I saw pictures. There were people in the stands, and we cheered. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) With other people, and... Yes. Yeah, I mean, we were outside, so that was fine. That made it safer and everything. But the Olympians, um, you know, came onto a little stage and we all cheered for them. And and then they answered some questions about, you know, their time in Tokyo and what they're going to do next and all of that. It was really nice. It was it was weird to be around other people. <laughs> I kept having to be like, Mom, don't sit there. You're too close to somebody else. Or, or like, oh, I don't think we should sit here because there's people here. And yeah, everyone kind of looked there. Were, you could tell who was uncomfortable with people sitting closer to them. It was very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an adjustment to get back to regular life. <laughs> I feel like life is, it, it, every, the interactions with anyone now is just really weird because you don't really know how you should. I, I remember. You know, I'm going for walks every day and every time. Uh, it's just really interesting in terms of, like, the behaviors of even just walking. Because sometimes I'm walking and I can see someone far in the distance. And you can tell who's, like, really uncomfortable. Because the people, even though we're really far away, they will switch to a different side of the road. <laughs> just make sure we never, we never, yeah, to never <laughs> intersect. And then, you know, sometimes when I'm walking past people, I might, like, you know, take a few steps over into the grass to make sure we have space. And I did that once where I was walking, you know, on the sidewalk towards a person, and I had the opposite experience. I swerved onto the grass, and this person aggressively swerved into the path that would, like, take us to running into one another. And he looked at me, like, really unhappily, I guess because I was wearing a mask and I was trying to avoid him. 
but it, it was a pretty uncomfortable little exchange. <laughs> Like, he, he, he does. He wants you to be close to him. I guess. Yeah. You just feel my love in the, the most hostile and aggressive exactly. manner possible. Feel my love and my germs. I want you to feel them. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting how everyone's going to kind of get back to our normal human interactions. <laughs> yeah, I went to Rip Fest whenever it happened. Um, can't remember couple weeks ago or something like that and it's the same thing it's just like when once you're uh trying to find a place to eat you're just like trying to find where can i find the most distant table to kind of sit at so that you don't you know get to experience other people's germs (laughs) as they're eating (laughs) oh man life has changed how long after covid is gone do you think that we're gonna see uh you know, remnants of that kind of mentality of the whole don't come near me with your germs kind of idea. I don't know. But weren't you the one that said you kind of like the idea of masks because, uh, (laughs) you know, you're not, no one's catching colds anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I I see a real upside to it. And, you know, oddly enough, even walking to work, not smelling vehicle exhaust quite as bad is another perk. So, yeah, I, I'd wear my mask anywhere. As long as it's culturally acceptable, I'm going to keep wearing my mask. We should make it a thing. I mean, I, I don't think it's... Everywhere in Asia, it's kind of norm, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now's the time to bring it over here and uh, normalize it for everyone. Yeah. So, speaking of Asia, for today's topic, uh, we're going to talk about a topic in China... I'm sure everyone has heard about uh, this in the news, but um, definitely there's been news articles and uh, news segments on a population in China called the Uyghurs. And uh, the Uyghurs are a Muslim minority in China uh, in the Xinjiang province. And uh, there are some controversies because... Apparently, China are putting some of these um, uh, people in what they would term as re-education or vocational training uh, centers. <laughs> uh, but um, some other people might describe such facilities as maybe uh, concentration camps. That could be another word for it. <laughs> so... Um, that's the topic of today, and I think, uh, Sherry, if you want to maybe talk us, uh, take us on a journey on kind of the history of uh, the Uyghurs. Yeah, I mean, I think it's beneficial to do a little bit of a history here. Uh, you know, for anyone who maybe doesn't know a lot about the history, um, I really only learned about the Uyghurs maybe last year. Um uh, John Oliver did a really good uh, segment on it. Um, and before that, I had no idea this was happening because uh, China is such a vault when it comes to information that they want to let out to the the rest of the world. Um, so, uh, so the Uyghur people are in a province um, in China. Uh, like you said, the, I, I don't want to pronounce it incorrectly, but I think it's Xin, <laughs> Xinjiang, Xinjiang. Um, hopefully I'm close enough on that. Uh, but it's this Northwest province of China. Um, 
And so the Uyghur people, um, they're part of these Turkish origins. Um, so they speak a Turkish language um, and they're often associated with uh, the Muslim religion. Um, but they're mentioned in Chinese records dating all the way back to the third century CE. So they're, they've been in sort of the same area for a very long time. They haven't been in that area of China for a long time Um or I guess as long as the third century CE, but uh, they have been sort of around for a long time and they rose to prominence in the eighth century, um, but they were overrun. And so they migrated Southwest uh, to the Tian Shan mountains. Uh, and so that's where they are now, which is the Xinjiang province in China. Um and so so they had this migration. They've been there, you know, very, very long time. It's this nice, rich farmland. Um, and it was part of this Silk Road uh, trade route through China. So uh, it's a very valuable piece of land. And so we should keep that in mind as we continue our little journey here. Um, but uh, yeah, so there, there have been some clashes with China, just like we know, um, you know, Tibet uh, having those clashes with China, Hong Kong, um, they also have had those clashes. And so they tried to, um, establish their own independent, um, kind of province or, or land or country or whatever. Uh, so in 1933 was their first attempt at this. So they established the Islamic Republic of East Turkestan. Um, but a year later it was taken over by the Chinese forces. So they took back that land. And then in 1944, the Soviet Union actually backed. So the Soviet Union kind of borders on this area and they backed um, the creation of East Turkestan Republic. Uh, but then something happened. China became a communist country in 1949. And so the Soviet Union turned on uh, East Turkestan and helped China retake that piece of land. Um, so there have been a couple times where they've tried to become an independent nation and have been thwarted by, uh, militaries nearby. Um, so Xinjiang area is, is really rich with resources. It has 40% of China's coal reserves, over 20% of China's oil and gas, and 20% of China's potential for wind energy. So it's a really valuable plot of land, um, and it's sort of the reason why China wants to keep this part of land as part of their country, because uh, it's it's very valuable to them. Um, so in 1945, there were 84% of the population in uh, Xinjiang was Uyghur. So 1945, uh, but China started really pushing for uh, the Han Chinese people to migrate into that area. Um, and uh, so that number decreased to 46% in 2008. So it, it went, you know, to half of its size by 1945 to 2008, because they've pushed for this migration. Um, and what happened was these Uyghurs were given low-wage jobs and the Han Chinese were given these um, better jobs. So they've pushed the Uyghurs into poverty. Um, 
And so there's been a lot of turmoil kind of within that region for a very long time. Uh, and a lot of, you know, stereotyping of the Uyghur people, uh, you know, saying that they're smelly, stupid, dirty, noisy, all those yeah. kinds of things. And, I mean, and the thing is, it's easy uh, to point out who the Uyghurs are as well, because, you know, uh, just from uh, it's clear, you know, Han Chinese people look ethnically Chinese, whereas uh, Uyghurs uh, look like you know, they're more from maybe uh, the Siberia type of region. So it's it's easy for um, uh, the ch- Chinese people in power to easily point them out and uh, discriminate them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's this rising tension that's been happening over a very long time, over around like 50 years. And then in 2009, that's where we had this huge riot that happened. So um, there, it started with this fight that broke out at a factory where there was a worker who accused the Uyghur men of raping the female employees. Um, and so in the days that followed, there were videos posted online of the Han Chinese people brutally beating Uyghur men. Um, and then shortly after, there was a student protest, uh, which was meant to be uh, peaceful, um, focusing on the uh, oppression of the Uyghurs. And it broke out into riots. And so these Han businesses and Han people were targeted and that's the message that the government of China put out was that these Uyghur people are, you know, vicious and brutally beating the Han Chinese people. Um, but because they so the Chinese government decided to put these things in place to calm the Uyghur people, but it prevented information from getting out. So they turned off Internet access um, for almost an entire year. Uh, people in the uh, Xinjiang province couldn't access internet. They also turned off texting and uh, the ability to call internationally. So they were trying to quell these protests by kind of cutting off communication for these people, but it also cuts off any information you can get out of that province. Um, and so um, there was a lot of there's a lot of rumors that that's when the disappearances of Uyghur people started, um, and uh, and since we we think there's an estimated 1.5 million Uyghur people in these re-education centers, concentration camps, whatever you want to call them, um, since the, so it was about a year that the internet was turned on or turned off. So it's it's since come back. Um, and when it came back, residents didn't have access to social media and there was a lot of, um, of video surveillance that people, uh, outside of the, the Xinjiang province noticed. So there's, you know, cameras everywhere watching, you know, areas where Uyghurs are, um, and things like that. So it became a lot harder for Uyghurs to find jobs, um, get passports, uh, get driver's licenses, things like that. Um, so then in 2013, China launched this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, um, which was putting this huge investment into making sure that uh, China was easier to trade with. So they put in fiber opti- optic cables, they put in 
train lines, pipelines, all this stuff so that China was easier to um, trade with. But many of these projects went right through the Xinjiang province. So this is a valuable piece of land that we're talking about. Yeah, it's, um, it's really geographically interesting, actually, that Xinjiang, uh, or however Xin, you say Xinjiang, it. Xinjiang, yeah. Xinjiang, yeah. Xinjiang, It has yeah. like six countries neighboring it. it. It's really interesting to see where it is in terms of geography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important that we sort of focus on the geography of it because it is, you know, it's so rich in resources. It's right along these borders of other places, um, those sorts of things. So I think the government really, you know, wants to keep it in, within its power. Um, so 2015 to 2016, there were these de-extremism policies that were enacted. So um, you could be taken to these re-education centers or jailed. Uh, if you had things like a long beard or a face covering, or if you don't drink or smoke, uh, or if you have contact with overseas people, um, someone even said having WhatsApp on their phone uh, caused them to go to this um, camp area. Um so then, you know, they've set up these checkpoints, these police checkpoints where Uyghurs have to hand over their phones. Um, there are QR codes that are installed outside of people's homes to monitor them so other people can maybe report them. Um, those sorts of things. It's it's really interesting sort of how, you know, quickly the government came in and said, OK, we're going to monitor you and now we're going to set up checkpoints and uh, those sorts of things, and then in yeah. twenty, but it's it's also not unusual for the Chinese government to uh, try mm-hmm. to squash uh, any extremist, any quote unquote extremist <laughs> thoughts uh, uh, that any anything that deviates from kind of their communist vision would be flagged. Um, which, which is why I, I know you're kind of uh, into kind of the twenty tens now, but uh, way back. Uh, in uh, right when uh, 9-11 happened. I mean, this essentially opened up an opportunity for the Chinese government to really uh, redefine kind of what uh, extremist thoughts are or the impact of extremist thoughts uh, in their country uh, could be. So, uh, which is why, I mean, they were able to kind of convince the U.S. government that, Hey, you know, uh, Uyghurs uh, who are extremists could be associated or could be working with Al Qaeda, and uh, which is why uh, they really kind of started redefining and uh, focusing on uh, uh, working with other governments on uh, trying to classify uh, Uyghurs who have kind of extremist connections as part of the war on terror. Uh, and some Uyghurs were actually captured in, and sent to Guantanamo, uh, which then the U.S. government, after interrogations, uh, determined that they actually don't have any anti-American sentiment. <laughs> like, uh, and uh, eventually they released them. But uh, I think this really like raised the flag uh, to the U.S. that, Something doesn't seem right <laughs> that uh, we captured uh, these so-called terrorists, uh, but they have no anti-American sentiment. 
but they definitely do have anti-China <laughs> sentiment, and um, it's definitely a question of. Uh, I mean, it's not a question, but it's clear that like the U.S. government knew something was up <laughs> when uh, after they kind of interrogated uh, the Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so, sorry, just moving a little bit forward a little bit. Um, In 2017, there were people who were kind of watching this situation. Uh, They were able to use Google Maps to see satellite images of these camps that were starting to form and how they grew over time. And there's a great BBC video um, where they've gone into the camps and... um, Apparently, before these journalists arrived, uh, a whole bunch of changes were made to these camps. And you can see it on Google Earth, um, the changes that were made. So they took out some of the security fencing and the watchtowers that were in place. um, And they changed the exercise yard into a sports facility. So they, you know, put some, I don't know, lines down. They painted lines down for maybe a tennis court or whatever. So yeah. um a basketball yeah. net was erected. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the and since then we've heard accounts of people who've gotten out who have talked about, you know, being tortured, being uh sexually abused, being um even being killed and things like that. So it's uh pretty intense uh the reports that are coming out of there. Yeah, and it's very telling in the video. Uh, it just seems so odd uh, because they, you know they they call this a uh, like a training camp or um, you know vocational training center. Yet everyone there is an a grown up. Mm-hmm. Everyone wears a uniform. Uh, people have to stay in ten like ten people share a room. Uh, it just doesn't feel uh, doesn't seem like you're what we would maybe uh, think of what a vocational training center would be like mm-hmm. um, uh, what what big vocational training center or college can you think of that has fences watchtowers <laughs> barbed wire um, and it it's interesting even in that uh, when the BBC went to interview people I mean clearly, government officials were hanging around in the background watching uh, what's going on. And when they asked the question of, you know, uh, what if someone decides they want to leave here, right? Uh, the the response is, oh, well, uh, the, the person that's managing the center, we have never encountered anyone that wanted to leave here. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, that, that has never happened. Everyone wants to be here because they want to learn. And uh, we, uh, I'll quote, we proactively guide them. I don't know what exactly that entails, but the quote is, we proactively guide them. <laughs> yes, so. they want to encourage them to eliminate their um, their value system that is uh, what they deem to be sort of a, a terrorist kind of value system. It was a very Twilight Zone kind of video. Um, it's really, if you haven't seen it, you should because you should go watch it because uh, you know, they're, it's like a regular classroom, but definitely what you said about adults wearing uniforms and they're all like chanting this propaganda, um, 
Yeah, and making it seem like they're they're happy, they're all smiling, but like I don't know how genuine these smiles are because I get the feeling that if they said anything wrong, they would definitely uh feel the hurt later. Mm-hmm. And it's it's clear, I mean, in the video when they're taking, uh, videoing, like, the screenshots of uh, the computers, everything there just looks like propaganda. There's They're writing words like, you know, I love China, <laughs> uh, uh, things like that. Like, who who just randomly writes something like that? <laughs> just, <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, during the interviews, the the officials are essentially saying, you know, we only want to remove the extremist elements and they, you know, interviewed people there that said that, uh, you know, oh, you know, I, I had extreme thoughts before or extremist uh, thoughts before, but the police, you know, uh, told me I should go here to uh, essentially, you know, uh, get educated so I can work, uh, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> just very... Very brainwashy. It just yeah. feels doesn't feel very genuine. Yeah, and they sort of say that it. They keep saying it's voluntary. A lot of the reports that have come out of there is just people disappearing, um, without sort of telling their families or anything like that. I think if if you volunteered to go somewhere, you would tell your parents, you would tell your family members, um, especially the ones you're close to. So. Yeah, lots of reports to the contrary that that there's voluntary uh, going there. And um, also, I believe one of the officials was talking about, either in this video or another video I watched, but talking about how um, you can predict uh, if a Uyghur is an extremist uh, based on these things that I talked about, having a long beard and stuff like that. So they want to prevent extremism, terrorism, that sort of thing, uh, before it happens. Um, you know, so they've, they've got a way to, uh, to figure out this, this way, this, um, this algorithm almost of who is going to be a terrorist and we're going to get them into these camps early, uh, so that we can, um, de-extremize, extremismize these people. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the position of the Chinese government. So uh, Victor Gao, who's uh, right now a, a VP for one of these uh, think tank uh, think tanks in Beijing, uh, he used to be a Chinese diplomat as well. He's done like uh, many interviews with Western media because he's actually very well spoken. Uh, but he uh, he's definitely like the main spokesperson for the Chinese government when it comes to this topic, and he's. You know, the, his position, uh, which clearly he's communicating on behalf of the Chinese government, but he's talking about how uh, the region is under threat from extremism. You know, people uh, are not, are preventing their children from getting education in the area, uh, which is then leading to extremism. So they are uh, putting people into these educational centers to teach them to give them new skills and uh de-radicalizing the population and so it's not a concentration camp it's just a training camp and it's not and he all of his arguments are always uh essentially trying to deflect from uh the topic 
and saying, you know, this is not this is not a concentration camp. It's not genocide. Uh, we know where the genocide has been happening. It's in North America, where there's uh, <laughs> you know a gen- genocide of native people, etc. That's where it's happening, uh, not China. It would, you know, uh, I will uh, quote him. This is a direct quote from him. The Chinese government is one of the most decent governments in the world. You can talk about you know torture and rape. It you know doesn't exist here. It probably exists in. Uh, NATO countries. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this whole thing, like listening to these officials talk reminded me of that movie. I think it's called the minority report where they've got like a psychic in a pool predicting uh, crimes that are going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like, you can't really predict these things. We have these algorithms, we have these, you know, equations of, you know, how we predict things, but it's not fail proof. Um, and to think that there's 1.5 million of these people, uh, who, who just happen to be in this religion that are going to be extremist terrorists. Like it just doesn't, doesn't add up. So so what, what do you think about this argument? So this is also from Victor Gao, uh, in one of the interviews, he states that, you know, Western countries are imposing uh, their own way of dealing with radicalization on us, uh, and we have, you know, we should be able to do deal our own, you know, implement our own ways of kind of dealing with radicalization. <laughs> they I feel like they constantly deflect. They're like, like you said earlier, like America. America's got all this, uh, you know, genocide happening to their First Nations peoples, or America has a a jail system that that is worse than this, and and all of that. I feel like it's a lot of deflecting of this is what's wrong with your country, our country. You know, it's not as bad. And at least in America and in Canada, our population isn't silenced for speaking out on those topics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we can speak out on you know, the genocide of our indigenous people and uh, and America's uh, uh, profit from uh, the mm-hmm. criminal system. But I mean, China, their view is they are perfect. It yeah. never happens here. <laughs> Yeah, the censorship aspect definitely uh, definitely weighs heavy on you know, taking China and Chinese government officials at their word when they claim that they are uh, simply better than all the Western nations who are just trying to taint their image with these uh, false accusations of mistreatment of the Uyghurs and other minorities. And I think there is something to be said sometimes for you know the colonization that America and does and even Europe and things like that does for other countries of trying to, you know, stamp out these other cultures and things like that. But like, it's not really actively happening as much right now. I don't think, I don't know, like, like this is a lot of stuff that happened in the past, at least for Canada, we, you know, tried to silence our first nations cultures, but it's not something we're doing anymore. We've, you know, admitted to our faults. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the one, the definite main difference is, uh, at least our government isn't actively trying to silence people, (laughs) 
um, by putting them into camps. Yeah, I mean that, that, mm-hmm. this it, it really feels like this is like apples and oranges comparison. It's just so different. No one's ending up in a re-education camp for you know protesting a pipeline or whatnot. It's happening. Well, they may very well end up in jail, though. I mean, I'm not trying to sugarcoat what the Canadian government or American government do to you know, native protesters or minorities that they mistreat and have traditionally mistreated. But there is a difference in terms of rounding people up and disappearing them. I agree. I mean, there's parallels to like residential schools, right? Where we, uh, in Canada, there was an attempt to teach <laughs> or get the, uh, the native out of the native, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did see an article talking about how Uyghur children are going into the adoption system against parents' wishes. So it's pretty sad that they're trying to, you know, take that culture out of them early because there are, you know, there are some values to that culture. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a longstanding culture and, you know, there are traditions and, and all those sorts of things that, that have value. Yeah. Those yeah. Kids, I mean, if anything, they, the Chinese government can look at Canada as an example uh, in terms of like our residential schools. Look at what happened. I mean, this is the outcome was not good. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't met with resounding success. You know, the native population was not perfectly assimilated after the residential school programs. It's just. But I mean, the Chinese government, they're really good at propaganda. I mean, they. You know, when I, I think if you were to ask the average Chinese citizen, uh, they are going to have a view that Uyghurs need to be retrained in quotations and uh, having them integrated into Chinese society by making sure they learn Mandarin and they follow all the guidelines of the CPP, the uh, Chinese Communist Party. That I think the average Chinese citizen would probably think that's a great idea, to be honest. Yeah, no, you're right, Kenny. In the interviews that I uh, saw in the article I examined, the views of you know ordinary Chinese citizens were remarkably well aligned to the government propaganda out there. Yeah, it's kind of like this, and we have this ideal in even North America. These foreigners need to learn English before they come here. They need to understand our country before they live here. And those sorts of, you know, um, ideas sort of permeate our culture as well. But I think they've just taken it to the next level and um, by enslaving people and forcing them to assimilate to the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, not a lot of uh, avenues for resistance, right? Uh, when we think about Canada, uh, there's freedoms to protests, freedoms to kind of speak out against, you know, what you think is wrong or immoral. There's no avenue for that in China. I mean, if there's any dissent, it gets shut down. And uh, state media is all controlled. Uh, Everywhere you go in China, there's lots of propaganda that's like right in your face. It's not like um, uh, super obvious, but it's, it's just... There's always, uh, when they're doing construction, they'll put up posters that really kind of convey that everyone should be thankful about what <laughs> what they have received. 
and how great the government is doing. So it's a, uh, and the thing is, China has progressed so much in the last few years. Uh, the the middle class has really risen in uh, China, coming from you know a time when there was starvation and people didn't have enough uh, uh, money to like own property and things like that. But now, uh, just because of a lot of the improvements that have occurred, uh, a lot of citizens are willing to kind of maintain uh, what they have, right? Maintain status quo because they have witnessed the improvements. They're no longer starving. The government is taking care of them, essentially. And uh, it, I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of resistance internally in China. No, and it's hard to even put sanctions on countries like these because we have moved all of our uh, production and labor and stuff over to places like China and and some other, you know, third world countries, Bangladesh, places like that. Not saying that China is a third world country, but like we've moved all our production over there. So because it's cheap labor and all that sort of thing. So how do we function on our own, knowing that China still has this kind of power over us. So how do we speak out against them? It's a tough, tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's true. Everything that is made is highly dependent on China. And it's, it's not like uh, Iran, where you can put sanctions on them because what what do they really provide to maybe Canada, for example. But um, almost every anything we buy has some kind of connection to China. And uh, putting sanctions just isn't feasible unless we're willing to essentially shut down all of our economy. Yeah. Enormous economic influence China now holds over most countries in the world. Yeah. And the thing is, there was always this uh, thought from Western countries uh, that, oh, you know, if we help China get stronger, uh, bring them, you know, get them more connected to Western countries, uh, democracy will flourish in China. Um, you know, for, uh, qualities like free speech and transparency, it's all just going to flow into the region, right? <laughs> except that the opposite happened. Yeah. <laughs> now there's actually more uh, restrictions on free speech. Uh, and um, we're, we're completely dependent on China's economy. <laughs> there's some kind of uh, hard-laced arrogance there to assume that somehow Western culture was going to permeate and just completely overwhelm Chinese culture. It's, a, it's that colonialism, you know, <laughs> attitude, right? That good old colonial you know, spirit. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're going to enter India and, you know, make them civilized kind of uh, <laughs> thought. Once they see our democracy, they're going to love it. And they're going to yeah. take it over onto their their values. And yeah, Who wouldn't want it? So, um, do you guys know... Uh, so th this people might classify uh, what's happening here is uh, cultural genocide. Um, do you know why the UN actually has a hard try, a hard time calling this genocide? 
Because hmm. they don't see any bodies? Because everything's so, like, controlled in terms of, like, images that come out and things like that. Because China has such a hard line on, you know, where people, journalists can go and, like, they can see. Yeah, so it's interesting because... Um, uh, the UN defined kind of what genocide is like after World War II. Um, and they kind of uh, defined it as, you know, the, any acts that are committed intend to destroy in part or in whole or in part, uh, you know, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group, uh, which needs to include killing members of that group, seriously uh, injuring uh, or causing harm to that group, uh, either physically or mentally, uh, deliberately inflicting uh, conditions of life that uh, bring about the physical destruction of that group, and also impo- or imposing measures intended to prevent birth uh, or forcibly transferring children from that group to another group. So. Uh, the the UN has had a hard time kind of classifying this as genocide because of potential you know lack of evidence on one part, but also the none of these current activities constitute like uh, for example the first point which is killing right no one's being killed uh, the, they had never intended this uh, genocide term or they never like fathom uh, uh, a, a country would be quote-unquote re-educating people <laughs> or putting them in vocational training camps. And uh, that's why right now they're having a hard time kind of pinpointing uh, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, pinpointing a, the, this term genocide uh, to the Uyghur situation. So... So there's been calls to actually uh, change that definition to include cultural genocide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's kind of right now being discussed. Uh, but uh, we're the UN will also have a hard time, I think, given how much power China currently has uh, in the world. Yeah, I can't imagine they're going to be very receptive to these changes that will then subsequently incriminate them on these grounds. Mm-hmm. They'll say that it was changed just to incriminate them. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just yet another foreign attack on the Chinese unity and you know being fabricated just to undermine them. So uh, it's basically uh, from the UN right now. Uh, currently, right now, uh, cultural destruction does not suffice <laughs> as uh, genocide. So that's directly from them. God, and I'm like. 10 years or something we're gonna see the bodies we're gonna find the evidence and then we'll be like oh yeah it is genocide 10 years too late yeah there's no more uyghurs oh darn it's sad yeah and even in like the video that the bbc did you know they when they poked around they managed to uh take photos of uh people uh inscribing things on the walls uh that did not sound very cheery. It was very, uh, 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 definitely showed that there's some hardships from the people living there. Yeah, and that was one of the camps that was, you know, 
reinvigorated to make it look like it's a nice place to be. Yeah. I can't I can't imagine what these camps are that they won't let anyone in to see like what it must be in there. Yeah, I think there was a video that came out um where I don't know how they they got this video out, but somebody got a video out to their family uh and they took it and they showed how they were handcuffed to their bed. Um, and outside was blaring, uh, propaganda over the speakers and, uh, it didn't look very nice. I don't, I can't remember sort of how, how they managed to get it out. I don't think I read that far, but I watched that video and it's just, it's pretty haunting to think that there are people handcuffed to beds. Yeah. So, and it's tough with, because of this control that the CPP has, I mean, stuff is not going to get out easily, uh, which makes their talking points uh, uh, much better when, you know, they're essentially telling everyone there's no evidence of genocide at all. Um, And I'll quote uh, Victor Gao again uh, from one of his interviews. Talking itself doesn't constitute as the real truth, <laughs> as uh, basically when the reporter was uh, telling him, you know, we, you know, we have like eyewitness accounts of what's happening and things like that. And his point was, oh, that's just talk, right? That's not real evidence. Anyone could <laughs> make things up, essentially. If only we had someone to get real confrontational with him and say, well, I guess you'll be welcoming our new video crews to come in and just film 24-7 what's going on in these camps then. Then, uh, you know, you will be proven right. You will be vindicated. There will be nothing wrong for, for our critical Oh, we don't want see. that. You know that they're going to tell all the people in the camps, for 24 hours, <laughs> yeah. you've got to be happy. <laughs> you've got to be singing. Yeah. All right, singing and cheering for 24 hours. <laughs> 24-7, 360, I, I should have uh, specified that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the whole, like, the way that we can, you know, disprove that this is not a genocide is through actually being able to be let into these camps. Like, if they don't let us into this camp, how can you disprove that it's a genocide? So if if it wasn't a genocide, the Chinese the Chinese government should be like, yeah, go in. These mm-hmm. people are being vocationally trained. I'm happy for you to see any or camp that let, you want to see. Or let uh, everyone there, you know, whatever, put things on TikTok and <laughs> show what life is in the camp, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I almost guarantee you, no one has access to their phones and mm-hmm. <laughs> will be able to record anything. TikTok? Oh, wouldn't you know it? Nobody wants phones in this particular location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. TikTok is owned by the, a Chinese entity. They should be all on board with the TikToks. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> guarantee you as well, TikTok has also banned anything coming out of <laughs> that region. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it would be an easy answer just to let us see things, but Chinese government's hiding it, and that's, I guess, our first clue that this is not okay. Framing it the opposite way, you know, would we ban a Chinese commission to come in and, you know, explore the residential schools or something like that? I don't know how that would be handled, but... I'd like I don't to think, think. I think we would let them in. I don't think yeah. we have anything to hide at this point. Like reports have come out. Like 
Yeah, yeah, the skeletons are already out there, so anything they're going to discover isn't going to really pile on. So I, I would like to think that we would be more open to independent commissions coming in and exploring our misdeeds. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything to hide, and China does, so that's... Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, thing. The, at least the China situation is more urgent because it is happening yeah, right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what are we going to do about this? I feel like, I mean, individual people, we have almost no power, right? I mean, to me, this is a governments and the UN are really the only people that could potentially, like, put pressure on China. Mm-hmm. It just and feels it, like there's no easy solution here. It does frustrate me when Canada starts talking about, like, oh, we're going to boycott the Olympics in China because, like... What does that even do? It doesn't yeah. do anything. Even putting, you know, tariffs and stuff on China, it's not, it doesn't necessarily cause any change. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm really curious about is, uh, you know, often these Olympics are a platform to uh, promote or show solidarity for um, uh, certain groups. I'm curious as to would the Chinese try to silence someone? Let's say, uh, you know, a few athletes uh, either wore something or did the symbol when they got the their medals. Uh, I wonder how much censorship would occur uh, in that country. Yeah, I I would guess that those images would never see the light of day. It's certainly not, in China. not within China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What can we do about it? I don't know. Just talk about it, I guess, because, you know, this is something that's been going on for years now, um, at least, you know, with the the concentration camps or re-education centers since around, you know, 2016, 2017. We've known about them. Just keep talking about it because people don't, not everyone knows about the what's happening with the Uyghurs in China. I didn't find out about it until last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, tell everyone, I guess, I don't know. That's the best that I can think of. Yeah. I even, uh, quickly looked up, um, uh, kind of any nonprofit groups that might be focused on helping, uh, maybe like Uyghurs escape the region or something like that. I did not find anything. So no, no, I know like there's like nonprofit groups that help, like for example, LGBT people escape. Um, you know, countries that have you know certain laws and things like that. But the, the I think the problem as well is um, uh, China controls who leaves the country. Uh, so if you ever go to China, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a custom process to let you leave as well. So <laughs> it's not uh, you don't escape China very easily. So. No, I had a layover in China that got so my layover for my next flight. My next flight got. Uh, canceled. So I got stuck in China. It was a very interesting process when I was stuck in China. It was like they had to stamp your passport to say that you're here temporarily on a layover. And then, you know, everyone's herded onto a bus to go to this hotel. And then, yeah, it was an interesting process. Like, I feel like people, it you just could not ever leave very easily, especially if you're somebody who's speaking out against China. Yeah, mm. it's not like in Canada where I mean, once you get into Canada, 
when you leave, I mean, you know, you do just your normal security checks. But in China, if you're leaving, you go through a customs process to actually leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of communist countries are like that as well. I mean, like Russia is exactly like that. You, you have to go through a customs process to leave the country because they want to catch any uh, dissenters trying to escape. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, I'm so not, I'm glad hopeless. I'm born in Canada. I feel, and yeah, definitely feel a little hopeless. So we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep at least. Uh, hopefully, this will help others. Kind of learn a bit more about the situation and of course uh, additional resources and uh, information from other uh, media will be in the show notes always <laughs> <laughs> wow that was sad okay <laughs> it was rather depressing I, I'm just trying to see if I have anything really earth shattering that, uh, that Sherry didn't touch on most of my stuff's just like a little bit more detail on the actual numbers of Give us something hopeful, Rory. I didn't Lift have a up. very hopeful, uh, <laughs> hopeful ending to this particular research project. Do you think we could leverage our voices on social media platforms? So, like, for instance, uh, in the Bachelor Bachelorette franchise, uh, Chris Harrison is the host, and he or was the host, and he said some problematic things about race. And then people rallied on the internet on social media, and we got him out, and he's no longer the host. Do you think we could do that about China? Can we rally? And then <sighs> rally you, to you think, you think that we would be able to? You want to cancel China? I want to cancel China. <laughs> I was thinking more so rally so that our our uh, our government knows sort of our intentions about China. But I like your idea better. I think we need to cancel China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cancel Hashtag China. cancel China. <laughs> uh, if only that was possible. <laughs> It seems a little bit... I, I, I like ambition, Sherry. I love ambition, but this is a bit too ambitious. <laughs> we'll workshop this idea. We'll workshop yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a tough one. So. so continue to spread the word. I think uh, definitely because our federal elections are up, definitely this question should be asked mm-hmm. to every single candidate. Stay aware. Spread the word. Okay. Well, that was a downer. Thanks, everyone, for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, until next time. All right. See ya. Bye. 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 In terms of flow, uh, I think maybe start on history if i don't know sherry you've done that <laughs> research yeah. we don't even know what each other did and you're just like sherry got a little bit of history no. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I, we had a previous communication oh, okay, so that's okay. why I did. come on rory Jeez. <laughs> you're so rude <laughs> oh gosh <laughs>